Welcome to the Uncomfortable Conversations on Predators in Business, Community, and Culture, a podcast exploring the real-life stories of predatory patterns in our everyday lives, with episodes ranging from well-meaning white people to CPTSD and high-achievers anxiety in a world that has a fetish for peak performance. My name is Guru Nishan. I'm a disruptor of cultural indoctrination and actively support the dismantling of false identity by curating uncomfortable conversations on taboo topics hiding in plain sight. I stand committed to breaking codes of silence, shame, and secrecy in our own families, communities, companies, and cultures, but mostly within our own bodies. I want to welcome our guest for today. Her name is Jurette Bouillon. And she's the author of An Everyday Cult, a memoir which shows how her innocent quest for meaning left her open to manipulation by a controlling teacher. Jarette's current work is in cult recovery and education. Her signature writing course called Writing to Reckon offers a safe space for cult survivors to tell their stories. She is a co-founder of igotout.org whose mission is to encourage people who have experienced cultic abuse to tell their stories. Uh, I want to welcome you to the podcast today, Jarette. Thank you for being here. What a delight to be here with you, Guru Nishan. I'm so excited to explore, to see, actually to see where our conversation is going to take us. I feel so much resonance of concepts and just hearing the introduction, I feel excited. So <laughs> I'm, ha- I'm so happy to hear that. Question um, your seatbelts, everyone. Let's see where we're going. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, you know, Jarette, we got connected really just by watching each other online and through the I Got Out movement that, that you and your, your co-partner started with that um, as a cult survivor in the last two years, I've really only gotten the language of, of cult abuse and cult understanding since 2020 and um, starting my own podcast. And so it, it feels so interesting to be colleagues that has never met, never talked, and yet in full support of like, I've hearted everything you've posted. And it's, <laughs> it's out of this feeling the mission of like, I got out at what it means to be a survivor of a cult doesn't matter the ideology doesn't matter the specific belief systems, but that there's a formula to it. And that's really revolutionized my awareness. Um, So having you speak to kind of that mission and then more, it just, it's very exciting to kind of bring you in as a person to person exchange um, versus just through a social media space. For sure. And I am, I fully agree with you that it's, when, when we can actually take our personal experiences and see how it applies to these much larger patterns of control, and you use the term, I think, cultural indoctrination, which I, I really resonate with, that, that there's like the microcosm and the macrocosm, and, and both are, I think, especially relevant for those of us who have experienced cultic coercion in whatever version, whether it's a tiny little, you know, spiritual group or or really big, complex, um, you know, thousands of people 
tens of thousands of people involved. Mm -hmm. So often when we get together as people, as survivors of these kinds of shenanigans, we can see that even though our personal experiences are so vastly different, the threads are the same. And really seeing those patterns has been what's most been most helpful for me in my healing and recovery journey in the last, you know, almost eight and a half years uh, since I, I got out eight and a half years ago at this point. You know, when you speak to the, the noticing the patterns and the themes that kind of wave through, it's so true. And when you're so entangled in it, you you can't see that, right? Because it's so personalized, it's so dense, it's so heavy. And it's one of the, the things that podcasting about my childhood, about 3HO, Kundalini Yoga community, helped me to see the, the recurring theme that showed up in the next person's story and the next person's story, even though each of those people went through so much to come and just tell that story. As being the listener of that, this the it was like the patterns revealed themselves yes i had it's i love how you describe that because i had a similar but very different experience when i got out of the group that i was in i was 18 years in what i call an everyday cult which is um a small a small group they were literally you know, I think the most we ever were were about 70 to 80 people at any one time deeply involved. There was a wider branches, fragments of people kind of scattered all over. So maybe there were a total of a few hundred people who had worked with this particular teacher. But we this this everyday cult concept, and the reason I call it an everyday cult is that we all had our own lives happening. We were not in a, a residential space. We, everybody kind of had their own businesses. We were professionals, teachers, lawyers, you know, carpenters, doctors, you know, the whole, you know, uh, wide Expansion. range of people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we got drawn into this environment and that whole getting involved getting into a group is one whole thing one kind of big topic we could talk about but in the getting out as you were just describing that process with your with hearing the stories of others who got out of 3HO like suddenly for me when I got out I could see what I had gone through being played out in one version or another, on all layers of society. Yeah. And, and in such a wide diversity of, of um, expressions, you know, whether it's religious, like we talked about, but also, you know, in the government, in just the little town organizing, in the, you know, library. Community government. groups. Community groups. Community groups and sports groups and... And, you know, even family dynamics. Family dynamics, business is a whole nother word. Whole that it's, corporate, yes. Yeah, this, it's like when we can learn to identify the patterns of coercion, 
the patterns that lead one to believe in and do things that are actually contrary to their core values. That's the pattern that we need, that we as a society, as, as members of this society, the more of us who can recognize those patterns, the better off we're all going to be because we can say, no fucking way. I've been yeah, like, I see I've that. Done that. Yeah, exactly. I recognize. I I can I can see a dynamic at play. You, you know, Jarette, you're speaking to, to to just such important takeaways that in, in the aftermath of watching my childhood community go through, you know, what was its own share of a Me Too movement and kind of people really having a bubble burst, a, a bubble of their kind of white a white awareness. I felt like I had done a lot of deconditioning prior to that, but what's interesting about what you're saying, so so I felt like I had language to be like, what just happened and hold space for more of these stories to come out. But that was the takeaway was that these patterns are everywhere. This isn't unique to the, to the cult I grew up in. And in fact, if your takeaway is 3HO or the yoga is bad, fine, but you're going to go ahead and find that dynamic in the next place you go to, the next place you seek. So what I hear you talking about is the everyday cult, while your unique experience was that, you're also speaking to that as more of a, a broader terminology that says everywhere we go, these coercive dynamics are at play and we have to begin to sensitize ourselves to them? Absolutely. And I think educate ourselves about them. You know, one of the, one as a, you know, as someone who works in the cult recovery and education space, I, I have been really humbled and, and um, inspired to learn how hungry people are to learn about this. So even if, mm. even for people who have not directly experienced, say, being in a cult, they, they may have experienced or witnessed a friend or a loved one get involved in a really abusive power over situation. And so they want to understand, you know, what is it that I'm looking at? And why does it feel like something's off, but I can't quite put my finger on it? I don't have language for it yet. Yes. You know, it's, it's very, you know, it's very important. And I think that when we take it into this macro lens of how, how it applies to racism and white supremacy, that's, that's like a, another really important layer of it, because that is also founded in power over manipulation. These seeds go so deeply. That's right. A breadth and a depth and the coercive control dynamic. You know, I was, I've been saying this on my podcast for a while now around, you know, studying the professionals who've studied cults, that there are formulas to these things. And we get to kind of, it's why I, I, 
recommend and love the work you do at igotout.org. And I'm wondering if you want to kind of shed light to that because it's, it is educating us. It is informing us that, wow, this person had a completely different life experience than me. And yet the dynamics that are being played out throughout this person's story, I can relate to. And over and over again, almost every post you all would put out, was like that, which really helped to kind of organize my fragmented thinking. Right. I love how you said that because we as human beings seek, we we seek a kind of organization and symmetry and we need, we need things to make sense. Mm. So when we're in an environment where things don't make sense, in like in a controlling group that's got some really wacky ideas, we can be manipulated, and we start to we start to actually form our new orientation around those concepts, so that they make sense. Mm. And what we don't know is that we're actually creating a kind of false identity. Yes. So it's, and it's only once we can get out and get some perspective that we get to reorganize, like you were saying, and get a, you know, kind of pull the threads apart and see what actually, like what, what is reality and I know that's a big question what is reality and I mean that more from the perspective um, of how we can do a little reality testing to find out you know like is there a manipulation taking place here or is or is there something solid are we on solid ground right or is it you know just a a wizard of oz curtain and we're gonna you know Pull, pull, pull the curtain up, you know, uh, we can have our Toto show us where the real guy, <laughs> what, what's really going right at the what's reality really check. And it's, yeah. it's really an illusory word. And I do hear what you're saying, because um, I actually want to go back a little bit to say that even I remember people inside of the dynamic of a cult would use language like everything's a cult. Mm-hmm. as a way to manipulate those of us speaking out to say, no, this is not right. And this is not right. And this is not right. It took me a long time before I had the language to speak back and say, that is not an acceptable response <laughs> to what it is I'm expressing to you about the dynamics. And yet when, when I was in that environment and in the everyday cult I was in, absolutely, that was talked about. Oh, we couldn't possibly be a cult because look, people can come and go anytime. There's mm. nobody keeping you here. When I was in that environment, Bhuvanishan, that was a comforting sentiment. So I had already, by that, that, that comfort that I experienced is an indication that I had already changed identity or added a layer. I I had already bought what the teacher was offering. I had already been helped. There was absolutely some good stuff there that was truly authentically helpful to me as a person. And 
So I, I had that experience and then to layer to, to be um, learning all the, the excitement of all these new things, like those of us who are involved, especially when we go into controlling our cultural groups as an adult, you know, very often we're idealists and we have this like passion for, for new concepts and for making the world a better place. So when I'm learning new things that are gonna make me be a better person for all of humanity, of course, it feels good. So when I hear a statement like, how could we be a cult? People come and go all the time. It's comforting to me. So I had already organized myself around that idea. And so then that further reinforces that, oh yes, this is a safe place. Like yes. the irony is that when we're in an indoctrinated state of mind, we're actually in a safe space. We've made it safe. That's where we can survive. So the cognitive dissonance mm. is not, we have to avoid the cognitive dissonance. So we accept statements. We look to the leader for reassurance. Yes. We look to fellow members for reassurance. And we learn that the outside is not safe. And what's safe is in here. Yes. So that reversal, it's like an absolute inside out, upside down reversal mm. of what is true that takes place in the psyche. And as a form of survival of newfound security and safety that's that's created through this new layered identity. Yes. It's such a fascinating thing to hear you speak to this because similarly, a lot of the language I hear in, in is to own the word cult. People will be like, well, if this is a cult, then this is the type of cult I want to be a part of. And it's exactly what it's speaking to exactly what you're speaking to is here. I feel safe out there. I don't. And so like, that's one of the ways to start noticing, right. Is that cognitive distance of language of here, us and them. Yes. Wherever there is that polarization, that we have something really precious here in this environment, and, and we're special, and other people are just not going to get it. So we have to, you know, here we stay safe in this bubble, and the outside world has, in some way, they are dangerous and not to be trusted mm. so in whatever way that dynamic plays out and there's a wide spectrum mm. of that being very extreme to you know like like literally militarized zone if you go beyond you know you're going to be killed like if you go to the outside world you will be killed a good friend and colleague of mine Zach Bonney wrote a book called Dead, Insane, or in Jail. Mm. And it's about his experience in, a, in the troubled teen industry when he was in that severely controlled environment as a teenager. It was beaten into him that if he went off of the, the premises, if he left this place where everything was safe and secure for him, 
within, within a week, he would be dead, insane, or in jail. You know, so sometimes some groups have that very strong kind of um, enforcement. Uh, enforcement. And sometimes it's purely psychological in your own minds. And it can be much looser. Like, for example, in the everyday cult I was in, like, everybody had their own business, their own work in the world. And there was a lot of acceptance. We believed that we were empowering each other's autonomy. We use that kind of language, you know, in the group. And there was a level of that that was actually happening. Mm -hmm. But what we couldn't see were the hooks of dependence. Mm. So in the group, um, I call it CTL, the Center for Transformational Learning. I don't actually identify the, the name of the group or the teacher. And I can tell you why in just a moment. But okay. in CTL, it was we were based on... And that's the name of it? It's called CTL, Center for Transformational CTL. Learning? That's the name that I've given it. Got it, got it. In okay. my book. Yeah. Got it. Duly yeah. noted. Okay, keep yeah. going. <laughs> and, and so we were focused on dreams, working with dreams. You know, so in we, we I literally believed that I needed Doug, that's what I call him, Doug, as to help me to understand my dreams, the dreams that I have at night. They come to me through my psyche, through my whatever it is that makes dreams come to us, that I was completely dependent on him to understand and interpret, interpret those dreams so that I could become, you know, a better human being. I could become the woman of God I was meant to become. But, but that dependence that was created is what allowed me to be there for the 18 years. 18 wow. years I was with this guy. If you, if you look in the psychotherapy world and the ethics of, you know, working intensely with people in their psyches um, in, psycho, in psychological ways, mm. you know, it's only extreme situations where somebody, you would even want to consider having somebody for that long. It's actually unethical. Mm. And you want people to experience after a few years or a few months, whatever it is, um, a sense of, wow, I've learned from you, I've grown, I'm going to move on. And then I go on to my next wave of mm. what my next wave of learning is in life. That's natural. Mm. What's unnatural is a dependence. Yes. And when that dependence is built into a curriculum that is dealing with our psychosomatic experience of shaping and shape shifting our sense of identity and self in the world, you're in the midst of it before you even could, before all those are, are fully taking place. And that relationship is just too far on to be able to really notice it, which is why it could end up being 18 years, no? Right. And that's why we, it's like we form what's what we call um, like a cult personality or, mm. or um, a group persona. Mm. And that persona is something that's actually like constructed out of whatever the controls are within the group. 
Mm. Um, and it can be very complex too. Like mm. I was just thinking recently about um, the fact that um, of course, we're working with dreams. So we have all these images that come wild, bizarre images that come in dreams. And, and so the teacher would, would interpret them. And there would always be something, there would always be some problem. Each dream wanted to show you the, like, what it is that you had to work on. <laughs> we use the word pathology. So whatever your pathology was, and the pathology is what kept you hindered, what kept you um, away from your, your potential as a spiritual being. Mm-hmm. So the pathology was like, you know, you, you had to learn really well what your pathology was and do everything in your power to purge your life of those pathological tendencies. So in the in, you know, you can take any image from a dream and twist it into anything you want, which is what this guy did. Wow. And, and like I said, some of it was really helpful. Some of it did really resonate and truly help me as a, as a person. And some of it was, I, I was actually the persona that was constructed by my teacher and the group, mm. um, was one where I literally learned that my pathology was a very um, a very pompous, prideful person who was constantly speaking out of her, you know, whatever to, to manipulate others into thinking that she knew something. Like this is this was kind of the the persona that I was that was created for me. So I actually drew a picture one day. Oh, and the other part of that is that it's all so that I look good. Like, so the persona was that I would do anything. I would kiss anybody's ass to look good. Mm. And that it was this kind of self-serving persona. Right. So... You know, you can probably, if you're listening to this, you can probably have some thoughts in your mind like, okay, is there some truth here? You know, here she is. She's spouting off as an educator as if she knows something. You know, there could very well be some threads of truth. And yet what I have, what I have learned and what I now know in my own self to be unequivocally true mm. is that my like what i what i like who i am is someone that is comp- really uh, and i don't mean to say this to toot my own horn here but i'm really dedicated to supporting people to find out what their reality is what their truth is mm. and i do that through the writing work and other things and this idea that i'll do anything to look good or i'll do anything I'll kiss anyone's ass was a constructed reality that kept me in this system, this self-sealed system Mm -hmm. that I couldn't leave until I had really purged every aspect of that out of my being. And the only way I know that I had purged 
that out of me was when Doug, the leader, declared. He said so, oh Lord. Exactly. There it is. There it is. Oh, <laughs> there yeah. it is. You know? So there's no way out. No way out. And, you know, that twisted persona, like the, you're doing this to get this and this, it's like this twisted and distorted kind of pretzely experience of self, right? And, and who wants to be that? And so we'll do anything to not be that. And I really relate to that persona getting placed on you because when you're in close-knit spaces and then this new persona is built and then an identity is formed around a sense of self you have layers and layers of falsity on top of a true self somewhere in there exactly exactly and and who wants to have who wants to be an icky personality so we we are only perceived as self-serving instead of serving others too. like all the ways that then cultural and societal norms are placed into that distortion of you. So you work extra hard to not live that. I I appreciate the word distortion. And I think, I think why I like distortion is that distortion means that, you know, we take something and twist it. So there's a little, there's, there's truth in there. There's some truth in there. Yes. So you kind of can't deny that. So in that way, it's like, they kind of have you, you know, they, they've got you hooked, you know? And it's, a, and it's such an important point to pause on that people really need to land and listen to because there can be fragments of truth because that what's what makes good cult leaders, right? Is they take a truth, distort it, fragment it, twist it, layer it, do all the things, and then deliver you a new package as if that was the original truth. Right. Exactly. And because we because we human beings are easily influenced, you know, that's that's actually a survival mechanism. Like we look mm. to others. We rely on social proof. We look around us, see what others are doing, mm. and that helps to keep us safe. You know, that's part of what's ingrained in us. These like really basic tendencies like belonging, like what you're talking about, like it's just natural for us as humans to long to belong, to want to fit in, like you're talking about okay. social proof. So these are natural tendencies of the human experience and then that's used as a way to then manipulate and, and yes control. Yeah, a friend of mine um, who's kind of a wise businessman person has created this for what I call it the gotcha formula that he uh, talks about, which is you know like you can hear one thing like a a is something that's true and universal and helpful, you know. So it's like Ah, you hear a teacher, you hear somebody say that and you go, yeah, that really resonates. And then you hear B and B has a little bit of truth and a little bit of distortion in it. Mm. But you've already said, you've already had that experience of accepting that seeing that person as someone you can trust. So you take B as well in this, Mm. just as well as A. And then C, then comes C, and that is maybe more distortion and, you know, less authenticity, but you've already said yes to it. So yeah, and then by D, you know, they mm. gotcha. 
and they're actually feeding you bullshit and you say, um, oh, yes, yes, yes. It's like this. You're nodding along already. Like in the sales tactic, it would be like you say several things that get them to say yes and nod with you. And then by the time people are just automatically saying yes. Yes, exactly. Um, The gotcha formula. I love that. Um, Because like I was literally just listening to a podcast the other day of a the Nicole de Don the the sex uh, the sex cult leader and you know she's reemerging and there's just so many people that are still kind of all gaga goo goo over her and and the new literature that are coming out but I listened to this podcast I I, I had visceral responses because of the gotcha formula like mm-hmm. it was literally that I didn't know it was that but I could hear like okay that was a truth. Okay, that wasn't, wow, look how that was wrapped around that. Wow, look how she just kind of tied that, skipped over that, blah, 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 and then jumped with some credibility into something else, you know, and it, it's like the word salad formula of what you just said of little truths mixed with distortions and then flat out lies all in there. That's right. And it, and it's very natural, like this, in order for us you know, we were talking, you know, earlier about how, like, what do we do with society? That is that there's so much, um, so much challenge out there. And we have these patterns everywhere. Understanding something like the gotcha formula can help us, you know, to say, okay, like to, to pause, to separate one point from another point and say, oh, is that one true or not? And do a little reality testing. Like when I first got out, I discovered the work of uh, Dr. Daniel Kahneman. Do you happen to know his work? I don't. I don't. Please. He's, yeah. Here's my, it's, it's one of my favorites. It's funny. I've got it sitting on my desk, you know, thinking fast and slow. Okay. And he is an economist, a, you know, a brilliant thinker. And this idea of thinking fast and slow that's wired into the human makeup, that we have two systems of thought. One is the quick, quick thinking, you know, thinking fast, which we absolutely need for our survival. Imagine driving a car, you know, we have to be able to think quickly. If we see something coming from the right, we have to swerve. Uh, it's it's an essential part of our of being alive in the world is to be able to process things quickly. Mm. And the slow thinking part of our of our brain, the other this slow thinking system of thought is is something that actually only engages when we consciously call on it. So the quick thinking is something that's with us pretty much all the time. I smile, your likelihood of smiling is great. See, there you go, you're smiling. I take a, you know, a sip of drink, you probably feel thirsty. You know, I mean, of course, that's also mirroring, but, but we, we respond to each other that they, we take in the world quickly, and we respond to it in a kind of automatic way. And The slow system of thinking is something that when we want to really analyze, like, is that true? 
Or if we're trying to do like a difficult mathematical formula and we're not a math wizard, you know, we would have to pause, focus, and then come to an accurate conclusion. In life, we are very often coming to conclusions on things by using our quick thinking in where we really should be pausing, calling on the slow system of thought for greater accuracy. Quick thinking is not about accuracy, it's about survival. You know, accuracy and, and depth of knowledge, that's when we need to do the pause. And in a controlling group, do we get to pause much? Yeah, I was just going to go there. I was going to ask, so in a controlling group, a lot of these groups, and I'd like you to speak to this, know this about our brain and are purposely making sure we don't pause to actually get these other systems of ourselves online. Yes. Yes. I call it the pressure pot. (laughs) Tell us more. We're in a pressure cooker all the time. Like there's always something urgent that needs to be done whether it's something urgent, personally, introspectively, you know, that needs to be changed within us, or something urgent out in the world, you know, events that need to happen, letters that need to be written, podcasts that need to be made, whatever it is. People that need to be helped, humanity that needs to be served. So when when the language is good enough, it gets internalized where we become the self-propeller of the have to, even if it's not an actual group or an actual event or an actual prayer that you're going through. It's an internal propeller of, of pressure. Yes, absolutely. And and then in that way, we become this self you know, kind of perpetuating the, the group, the group tenants, the group, you know, philosophers, ethos constantly. And we become a recruiter. Everything we do is based on a form of kind of recruiting, getting others to see a light, you know, to, to join on board. And, and that sense of urgency Mm. is, you know, omnipresent. You know, I, the group that I was a part of, we had to, even though we were, we didn't have a living situation, we were tied to each other day and night by having to read, you know, hundreds of emails a day, respond to them. We had to write about our own pathology and our dream homework. All, you know, we like there were requirements. And if we didn't do this, our uplink would reach out to us and say, what's going on? Why are you not showing up? So even though I'm working full time, running a business, doing this hard, you know, work, having, you know, kids and family and husband and a house to maintain and my chickens to feed the whole nine yards. And yet there was never a rest point, constant feeling of pressure to do something for the group. The integration, the pause, the stillness. I'm really moved by what you're saying in the nature of the sharing that's being asked. So you're creating this like communal pods, basically, to show up as your authentic self, to purge these 
aspects of you that you've committed aren't you. And, and it reminds me of just other, I guess the vow is similar in terms of the, the, the languaging around their self-development uh, pedagogy um, and other cults I'm seeing these days, the, uh, the one taste sexuality cult so similar in that they're using kind of language of authenticity. So you almost feel like you've discovered a persona that's your real persona and yet it's actually this constructed one within the group. I'm finding that all very fascinating. It is fascinating, isn't it? And and I think they both you or they many of them, the ones yeah. that you just mentioned, and certainly in the group I was in, call on a kind of confession or collateral to be another way to hold people, <laughs> quote unquote, accountable. You know, and we don't see it as actually, oh, we're a hostage <laughs> to this to this system. But where where we can take things from our past or things that we've done within the group that are being interpreted as prideful. So here's a quick, really ooh, ooh, simple example. So good. Yeah, like a simple example for me is like I'm, you know, I've always been oriented towards nature. Like that's just part of, you know, I love to be outdoors. I'm uh, an environmentalist. I really try to have as gentle a footprint on the earth as possible. That's just, that's just a natural part of who I am. In the group, we would have these retreats and would produce massive amounts of trash. So when I was concerned, brought up the question, like, is there a way that we could bring in, you know, we could recycle, you know, how about we could try to reduce some of this? It was seen as me being prideful. Wow. You know, so it's like, you know, it takes something that's just authentically just part of who I am and twists it so that my values, so that's another thing that happens is the severing from the values from our mm. core values. Mm. You know? I want you to speak more on that. I want to point out that what I heard you just say is that it's a form of social shaming. So by you bringing something that's authentic to you, then throwing that back out as if it's a personality fraud of you being prideful, as opposed to the collective addressing what it, what is at hand, that social shaming is so, it probably goes back to just our nature as humans of how much we need to belong and feel connected because that level of power to silence us, like it runs so deep in us when that happens in a group. It absolutely does. You know, how shame is used, I think, can be one of the, one of the more cruel aspects of the cultic, of coercive systems. You know, that the shaming, you know, creates this profound inner insecurity where we start to doubt that which makes us most human, you know, and vulnerable. And, and then anything we're feeling goes back to your own issue as right. opposed to ever being able to locate the, the dynamic in the group. Right. And, and that it actually is, you know, the group that needs to be analyzed, you know, not the self, mm -hmm. like that, that so often, um, you know, we talk about, we talk about 
you know, yes, we need to do all this inner work and do better and look at ourselves more deeply and stuff. So many that's what so many of these groups are based on. But we're not looking at the group and analyzing the group, which is where all the shenanigans, you know, take place. And if if we could look at the group first, identify the unhealthy power dynamics that exist, we could actually save some good groups from tanking, you know, actually going down that route by thinking they could do some correction in terms of their delivery systems and organizing systems. I'm, I'm moved by the reality that some of us don't recognize these dynamics because the dynamics are familiar from our own upbringing dynamics. Mm So we're actually somewhat drawn into some of these spaces because it's re-mimicking the original safety that was never, that was never actually real safety. Yes. And that, that becomes one of the, one of, I think, the more tragic elements of cult hopping, you know, when people go from one cult to another, to another, to another, and when the origin is within the family unit or um, as you growing up in a occultic group. Um, there's a whole other dynamic that happens there. And I'm really curious about that. You know, for you, Guru Nishan, is there like, when you, like in that system of growing up, at what point or in what ways was your authentic self present? Like, I see you today, you know, as this inquisitive, smart um, person who's putting, making connections. And I'm curious if your, what your experience is in relation to that of you was that there when you were little too? Definitely. And and there were so many parts of me that were there. And, and what's interesting, Dret, um, we'll have to do another episode where you get to just interview me so that people can get some of my story <laughs> out. Because I, you know, I haven't shared a lot of this quite yet. Mm. I'm excited also to collaborate and, and learn more about your writing because I am a writer and there's something really special about writing about our experiences. It's helped me a lot, but it's more special to have you be witness so to, to read and to have others hear that has done such tremendous work for me. And I've only done that in very small amounts, but growing up, I grew up in a cult dynamic that I really thought by 15, I had kind of saw it, you know? And so my narrative that got me through, cause my mom had left young. So she was always quite vocal. I had a voice in and out, but what propelled me, I say through my twenties and thirties was that I, my narrative was I shed the dog. I grew up in a spiritual community, you know, had a lot of dogma and infidelity and hypocrisy and shed the dogma and kept the health conscious parts and mm. built my life. And so I really thought, you know, I'd cut my hair in my twenties and, you know, so I had done a lot of external changes, but I didn't understand how coercive dynamics run the internal system. It runs the way I saw the world. It ran the way I organized the world, the way that I formed relationships or didn't form relationships or what I chose to do for money or any of the things. It was, it was an inner concept that was planted that was coercive. 
And it would take me another 20 more years before I would know that. I joined another cult, which is I joined a business MLM cult at 22. And it wouldn't be till that played out and came crashing down 12 years later that I was like, huh, I'm repeating something from my childhood, but I don't know what this is. It's so familiar though. Yeah, please speak to that. Fascinating. Oh my gosh. There's so, there's so many layers here. And I want to just like, circle back to kind of complete one thought, which was what I, I saw you say, you know, and light up absolutely was the word you used when you said, you know, yes, that That's part of, of me. me was there. And so that, you know, I, I find that so fascinating that even in these like really, really difficult environments, there's something, yeah, there's just something of the self that's uniquely you, uniquely me, um, you know, present. So I so appreciate that. And yeah, the layers of complexity here, I'm, there's so many places we can go. I would so love to hear more about your story. And yes, writing is, it's amazing. You know, this, I can't tell you how humbled and awed I am on a weekly basis. What is, what is created in this little space? You know, it's, and what I'm talking about in the little space, it's in the writing classes that I facilitate. And it's they're just small classes, but maximum of five people. Mm-hmm. And we have a, I usually, you know, I introduce some sort of an educational type theme. And people write from that theme or not, you know, there's no rule that says you have to, you know, because we've all been in that have to space. And we're not we don't need to we don't need more of it we don't need more of it exactly but then what is what is created like the through the written word and then the sharing of the writing is so humbling and so powerful it just blows my mind and it's just some of the most um There's a simplicity to it Mm. because what we're doing with the written word is we're, we're organizing. We're like reframing. We're finding our own coherent narrative that had been so scrambled. But by having a space where we get to focus on our own, I guess, confused very often we're we're starting from a place of confusion but not always for sure but where we can take anything any aspect of our experience in the controlled environment and reframe it in a way that is brings coherence that's where we get to ah, regulate and normalize and soften. Soften. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. It's mm-hmm. a it's such a beautiful, beautiful gift. I can't tell you how you know humbled and grateful I am. 
I really value you as a, as a writer, as an author, and, you know, and then as a curator of, of an incubator that allows the voices that have been muted within ourselves, because we can have many voices inside. As you're saying, you could write from many points of view. There are many moments in a time that you get to choose in any given session. The power of, of creating space that lets something else emerge. Mm-hmm. is yeah. so beautiful it's a part of that remembering and recollecting self-process that and you, yeah. you don't know like you don't know what's going to come out absolutely like, you know just yesterday I you know we had the prompt and and the, right before one person shared she said I thought I was going to write about blah, blah, but this is what came out. And that, you know, that's what needs to come out. <laughs> you know, that it's, that there's a freedom. Yes. You know, that there's just a space to let, it's almost like our, the written word can kind of guide us to a more integrated experience of our reality. It's definitely been my experience, you know, by letting myself write and not write for a result, not write to publish, not write to send it as a part of a blog, but just writing at different stages in the last 10 years. Um, It would be years later, I'd look and read it. And it was such prolific writing, meaning I was writing about my own embodiment that I hadn't yet embodied into. And to me, that's the wisdom you're speaking to is that there are rumblings inside that want out and we may think we know what it is, but we don't know what's ready to emerge because the initial holding place is quote safety. Mm-hmm. So we have to create a new form of safety, whether it's a container you're creating that lets something else out because it's ready to come forth. Right. And we don't necessarily know the path, like what it's what. That's right. <laughs> Most of the time, we real ninety nine percent of the time we don't haven't a clue really, you know. And and yet, you know, we as we get to know ourselves more with with greater honesty and yeah. clarity, and and of course that narrative of knowing yourself is something that's used in, you know, all the self help kind of groups and spiritual groups as well. Um, but but I what I'm referring to is whatever when it is un kind of unguided exploration where what rises up is truly come rises out of the creativity of the individual and and when we can create opportunities that our story can be expressed in that way. Um, However, whether it's the written word, of course, that's kind of my focus, but, you know, the spoken word is just as impactful. The podcasting that you did, that processing is so integrated. For another person, it might be a kinesthetic expression, you know, either dance or sculpture or movement in whatever Mm-hmm. whatever way you know or mm-hmm. film you know that we the the um 
the creative impulse, I think I have come to trust more than anything else as our way through to, to a more, to a healthier society. Mm-hmm. Which Starting is in our own body, right? In our own in regulation. Our own bodies, mm-hmm. In our own bodies, in our own minds, in our own hearts. Like, and definitely, you know, I totally relate to you with the, uh, with the wisdom of the body. And yet this creative expression, it's different for everybody you know, what their expression is. And that's what I think lies at the the foundation of IGotOut.org, is providing a platform where anyone who has experienced some version of power over abuse, be it in a, a, a cult, a business environment, a religious environment, a self-help group, governmental um, political, whatever, uh, racial, there, there's an opportunity to tell your story. And it can be told in a way that however, however you want. I mean, we actually can upload video and we have people who have done songs as their statements and as well as most people have done a writing piece combined with some some photography and it's such a such a an important expression um, for people to do so but only if it, they're really if it's safe to do so for them if it's mm-hmm. safe to tell the story and that's something that we really try to check in with each person about because there can be you know some tragic repercussions if, to one's family or loved ones um, if you if your story gets out before you're really ready for it. Right. I think that's such an important point. And I've been learning that with with survivors in feeling the difference of like, oh yeah, this person wasn't ready. Um, mm-hmm. Because the the process itself, as we emerge in the in the conversation, they end up frozen and they end up kind of blank and foggy. And, and it was such an interesting thing to witness. And so I've had to learn to just say, you know, it's, it's okay to not be ready to speak out loud, right? Mm. It's okay to not be, that's not, everyone's not in that phase of their own sharing. Like, you'll know, you know, it's back to that self-trust, right? Of, I like what you're saying in that you check back in with, with the people that are telling it because it can be dysregulating and re-traumatizing if it's not the right time. Besides the repercussions of the people who hear it and the aftermath, like telling your story puts a pebble in the pond and you have to be ready for the ripple effect Mm -hmm. of who else may hear this. And can you hold that response? Right. Exactly. I think that's real. It's crucial. It's, you know, very important that people um, have the space to know themselves well enough um, to um, you know, to tell and to know when it's okay. I have people who have done the um, a writing to reckon class to write a um, an I got out statement. So there are free classes for the I got out um, movement. So about once a month um, or every few weeks, there's a class that people can sign up for. For the uh, I got out to to be able to. I was just thinking that yeah. that. 
people could do that and it's quite anonymous. Like you could just share your thing and, and then it's posted on your all's platform. And that's a way to kind of get portions of your story out without like coming out and actually verbalizing your experience. Yes, yes exactly. And, and, you know, it's, it's a way that your voice gets to be out there and almost, and just as importantly, people get to read. And it's the stories themselves that do the educating. Like we don't have to be a pedantic educator, you know, in like in the I Got Out movement, it's the stories that do the work. And and when I say the work, I'm talking about like the work of educating others, of helping people to make the connections we were talking about earlier. Yes. That happens naturally, like someone who got out of um, a controlling yoga group um, reads a story of someone who came out of, you know, a fundamentalist, you know, Christian, hard, um, really controlling group. And, you know, you'd think they'd be so, so different, but they learn that cross-pollination. There's almost something richer and deeper that happens when when we learn from each other's stories of very differing experiences. I can't agree more. The experience I felt somatically was, it was like unsnapping, like what you're talking about as of a persona by reading other stories, even in the short little posts, but just always staying tuned into what you're posting and the, the brave stories coming forth. I could recognize the dynamic and it would just be a part of that snapping off of me to realize, wow, that's not me. I don't have to keep that so personal. That's not something I have to work on. That's not mine. And so it was like slow unlayering, but it was other people's stories. Like you're saying, it wasn't you out there proselytizing, you know, it was you sharing the courageous four point page of the, of the post the dynamics emerge, the patterns reveal, and we can begin to recognize them like you do anything that you put practice into. Exactly. Yeah, there's a new, there's a hashtag that's been, and I'm, I'm not savvy um, social media (laughs) wise, but there's a hashtag that I'm seeing a little bit more now, which is hashtag see the pattern. And I think seeing the pattern is really, really important. Mark Vicente from um, The Vow, I think, I don't know if he started it or if he just, you know, picked up on it. I noticed, I noticed him using it and a couple of others. So I think it's seeing the pattern. Maybe that's the kind of concluding theme for today is to just say, wherever we can see the pattern, we're moving the needle forward, not only for us personally, but also for everyone, others around us, you know, because we can disengage. If we see it, we can choose. If we don't see it, we don't know what we're saying yes to. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Recognizing that pattern is important. And I guess I want to add that oftentimes the pattern is hooked on us and we're hooked on it. Mm -hmm. Meaning if it is a survival and it's linked to our survival system, we can absolutely recognize a pattern and still not necessarily stop doing it, but we can get better at noticing it. Yes. 
Like there I am again, look at me feeding on that. Look at me looking, because I've noticed like, again, it's what makes me fascinated about the cult you joined and these other kind of learning groups, because I would have just been a total sucker for that, you know, miss self-help, you know, miss personal development, miss, you know, getting better every day, kind of self-achieving, high achieving thought process. And it made me realize that the whole self-development industry is cult-like and, and all the ways that you have pointed out cults emerging, these power dynamics are, quote, in legitimate organizations. They're not mm-hmm. the weird back alley group that's teaching the off-the-wall wada wada. They're, they're everyday improve your brain groups or improve your body groups. And I want to feel wrap up on that a little more around you write this book, you have your experience. How long ago did you get out before you started doing, I got out as a movement, which I love the language, by the way, because Mm -hmm. anybody who's ever been in a call, we end up using that language. Like, Oh, I got out. I got out. And and it just becomes the built-in language. Yeah, for sure. Like, the um so I got out of I got out see there it is naturally <laughs> uh, the 18 year group that I was in, involved in ended for me in 2014 so I got out eight and a half years ago and uh, I got out.org or the and the hashtag I got out started out of a very similar kind of yes we just use this language where um, a group of us got together, Completely, it was one of those synergetic pattern, synergetic things that happened where four of us who didn't know each other at all um, kind of came together and had this idea about, you know, doing something. (laughs) And the phrase I got out was used like wanting to do a hashtag. And we tossed around different ideas. My ideas were would never have worked like hashtag hoodwinked or, <laughs> hashtag, you know, I got stuck or, you know, just silly things. But as soon as uh, Dr. Steve Hassan's assistant put in the email thread, how about hashtag I got out? It was like, yes. <laughs> so we all agreed to it. And um, Steve Hassan started using it right away. And the very first time he used it, someone on the other side of the country who had already bought igotout.org as a domain name because she, this is Lisa, who had connected, Lisa had connected with Sarah Edmondson from The Vow because um, her, their stories really connected deeply mm. and they had been talking. And so within like, Two hours of that hashtag, the first hashtag being used, she reached out to Steve's office, Dr. Hassan's office, to say, um, I just saw this and I just want you to know that this is who I am and I'm interested. And to make a longer story short, she, within another hour or two, all of us were on a Zoom together meeting wow. for the first time. So it was the hashtag that brought us together. How cool. And it's the hashtag that nobody owns and everybody owns, everyone who identifies. We all, you know, we all get to tell our story. And, you know, the 
igotout.org is there to, you know, support and identify the, the movement. And, you know, Guru Nishan, I have to tell you that I, as you know, I was in a cult. I'm an idealist. Truth is, I am still an idealist. I am much more grounded than I used to be. And yet I do still really believe that the process of telling our stories, the process of owning and identifying the truth of what we went through is something that A, makes us stronger and clearer as individuals, and B, it strengthens our society because we learn from each other. And I really truly believe that Hashtag I got out does have the potential, you know, to to <laughs> to change the world. You know, of course, change the world. Is a, yeah. I, I'm with you. I concur, and I think it already is. I think that's what's so powerful about your work, what you and Lisa have started, and Stephen Hassan uh, Hassan. For those of you that don't know, he's a cult expert. You can follow him on Instagram at the Cult Expert. Um, but it's tremendously helpful to give language to coercive control dynamics. And he's created diagrams and a lot of the, the posts on I got, I, I got out will use the bite model that he speaks to, to help us again, have pocket tools to develop our own inner, inner skill set of recognizing coercive control dynamics when they're at play. Yes. But I agree with you, Jarette. The telling the story and the being witnessed and heard is so profound for the recollection um, process. And what I did learn from Stephen Hassan is the essential part of recovering our essential self. Mm-hmm. And you spoke to that around the persona that you had build up on you when you were in your cult. What's been your process of recovering your essential self since you left? I got out. Has it been through writing? Has it been through this activist work? Definitely. And also, I was very fortunate. Within a year of getting out, I I found a really good therapist who was, um, you know, versed in spiritual abuse and um, and trauma, and also was versed in the work of Dr. Dan Siegel, whose work. Um, is also really important to me. That, that frame, his work, guess, what was his main yeah, read? Um, Dr. Dan Siegel. Um, he has a number of books, um, Mind Sight and um, The Neurobiology of We. And his, the, particularly the part of his work that I think is most relevant for those of us who are healing from coercive control is his emphasis, his understanding of recovering from trauma and the role of creating a coherent narrative out of those confused experiences. So Dr. Siegel's work is Mm. also, was very impactful, very important part of my my healing journey as well. And really the inspiration, um, a, a significant spark of the inspiration for writing to reckon. I love how you've curated groups of writing um, that are, you know, intimate um, and, and safe. And, and how does one get connected to your writing to reckon course um, opportunity? 
Oh, thank you for asking. Yeah, it's my website is my name, jurettebullion.com. G- It'll be in the show It'll notes. It'll be on the show notes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My name is uh, a weird one to spell, but yeah. So on my website, there's a link for writing to reckon. You can read more about it and read what others have experienced. And you can always sign up for a free class. And you can also, on the igotout.org website, we always have a couple of free classes coming up as well that are specifically for writing an I Got Out statement. Mm. And so there's like two things. One are the, the weekly two-hour classes that I offer that there is a fee for. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's, and you can always come to the first one for free using the coupon code CLASSPASS, all caps, CLASSPASS. And the other is through the igotout.org website to register for the, um, this I got out statement class. I think that's beautiful. And, and for listeners, you know, that are, that are able to take this in the writing and I got out statement, you know, you could have any sort of experience and we mm-hmm. oftentimes don't recognize it as a coercive or abusive experience because it's just so normalized in our own psyche and in our own sense of self. And so a part of even beginning to follow, I got out as a hashtag and and really following that movement, much less than moving to creating a statement, is such a a beautiful move in self-recognition of just Mm -hmm. naming abuse. And that's a huge stage of calling something for what it is, where I always called it a spiritual community. 20 years after I left, I still called it a spiritual community. I called it cult-like. I had all this language that didn't really land in the reality of the dynamics at play. Mm-hmm. And that's not my fault, right? I, I learned how to do that. The environment taught me the legitimacy of the yoga being popularized in mainstream culture lent itself to that language. So the detangle is real. And it, it wasn't my fault that I legitimized it. It legitimized itself. And a part of the detangle is where am I in this messy mess of illegitimacy wrapped up with truth? And your work lets us come into a safe space, whether it's that free incubator with I.org, to just start the detangle. Like, you know, writing a paragraph is like the beginning of a detangle. It ain't a book. You're not publishing it. You know, there's there's layers to that. And then to dive deeper, to do more reckoning work, right? Mm-hmm. Writing to reckon. I love the language. You can feel it. And that's the pulse that I'm learning to follow more and more is, am I going slow enough for me to feel? Because I can spin out and make things real all day long. And that's kind of the pattern you talked about is so part of dynamics of cults is the persona and the false identity that's created that makes these ideologies okay because we're within them. Yes. And that and the 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 gift, the beauty, the challenge is that we get to find the words that represent our unique experience. And I have a question for you. Okay. I just heard you say in, oh, something wrapped up in truth, the in, in the illegitimacy, the illegitimacy. Thank you. Illegitimacy. Gosh, it was, I needed to write that down. That phrase, illegitimacy wrapped up in truth is a really powerful nugget. 
So when I when I hear a nugget like that, you know, my I, I get excited. Illegitimacy wrapped up in truth. So I I have two questions for you. You know, one is, would it be okay if I use that phrase as a writing prompt for other people to write with? Is Absolutely. That, Please and, do. Okay. And I will, I always give credit where credit is due. And I also wonder if you would be inspired to write to that. It's such a beautiful, powerful, you know, phrase that has so much illegitimacy wrapped up in truth. I'm definitely inspired to write about it. So thank you for the invitation. Um, (laughs) And I've written a lot about it and in different kind of fragments, but it's one of the reasons I'm really drawn to what you've created in, in this writing to reckon space, because it's one thing to just write, right? And then it's one thing to write for others to read. And then it's one thing to write for your own process of coherence. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm really hearing so beautifully. Yeah, that's, that's the focus, is writing for our personal coherence. As w- and part of that does include the relational aspect. When we get, to, we get to find our words, show up with our words, and let them be heard. And in that being heard, we, we, get, we are validated. So there's a very gentle kind of the word is not feedback, but a reflection that can happen after people share their writing. And that reflection is, is always like others have an opportunity to share, to just speak briefly. And that reflection is always what moved us, what, what, or what phrase um, really speaks to us. Mm. And, and by hearing that, not only for our own writing, but also having the opportunity to offer that to others who are going through that same process of writing for coherence, writing to understand, to pull, to untangle our experience, our complex experiences, our complex PTSD for complex. most of us. Yes. You know, it, it's, a, it's a simple and and I think a pretty um, helpful, you know, way of supporting oneself through the process. Yeah. yeah and I really, you know, to add to it, I, I really heard there's relational repair happening mm-hmm. because so many of us in cults, the dynamic happened in relationship. Yes. Yeah. It's, they it didn't happen in isolation and there is so much we can do in our inner process, but to be held and seen and witnessed, reflected back without the distortion of the manipulation, the coercion, the getting you to move in a direction to buy something, whatever it is that's linked to being heard, seen, or witnessed, it, it, it becomes moments of deep repair simply because you were courageous enough to bring your words in that moment. Yeah. Exactly. And, and it also creates a space for what my, my good friend and colleague, Esther Friedman, uh, her book is coming out soon, and it's called The Gentle Souls Revolution. Hmm. And the gentle soul is, you know, is, is the part of us, or is the, the us, so many, so many, many people who have 
then um, impacted by coercive control are kind of naturally a more sensitive person um, because, because our vulnerabilities are like easier to manipulate. And um, they've been exploited for so long. And they've been exploited for millennium. And, you know, in that relational process of, you know, as you said, we've been hurt in relationship, just the, you know, tender beginnings of being able to be seen in a, in a way our gentle soul is safe um, can, be, can be so, so helpful as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've really felt that in the, the listening process of podcasting, of realizing that something is being put into space and time that others may listen to at another space and time. Mm-hmm. And in the privacy of their own home or secretly in their iPod, in their ear pods on their walk. And, you know, any spaces that we create where we get to start untangling a very tangled mess that we can't exactly feel in order to navigate, it becomes so profound what unravels from it and the ripple effect of it. I think witnessing i.org from a distance and then watching your book and listening to a bit of your story it was like that it's like wow it's so easy to feel so alone in this process of 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 self-recovery and then what emerges is a whole new field of of relational humans that have done similar work that you actually feel a level of closeness to in an in an in a unique way I know, isn't that amazing? Like here on on a very real level, before this recording started, we were strangers. You know, we knew a little bit just from these things out on the, the ethers of, you know, social media, enough for there to be resonance. And yet here we are now with you know, like I, I am so, so grateful um, to have had this time with you today and to connect with you and feel the, feel the resonance drop into something that is, that, 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 that is, you know, moving into trust. Like I, you know, I know I've learned enough that, okay, yes, we can all be manipulated on the, um, you know, through the internet and stuff. I images, want, projections. Images, yeah, all of that. And yet here, there's a deepening just through our conversation today, you know, that I am so, like, my life is richer now from this conversation. And I know that, you know, there's someone, I think you, I forget where you live. Is it Illinois? I'm in Chicago. Yep. Chicago. Yeah. In Chicago. Yay. Okay. I have a, I have a friend in Chicago. <laughs> I wait till you come and visit. It's so exciting. Yeah. Um, I know that, um, you know, we are wrapping up now, but I do want to say that you're an activist, you're an artist, you're a writer, um, you've written your memoir, um, but you're also an educator. You're a cult educator, helping us, helping all of us learn what does that mean? You know, and it's obviously had a, a stigma of its own language where people can kind of 
not deal with the word. So I, I just wonder what you want to leave listeners with in terms of helping um, speaking to cults, um, any other dynamics or just any other uh, words of advice for listeners when it comes to recognizing cults, seeing the cults in us. Yeah, you know, the, the work that I do is is mostly, you know, based on providing a space where where people can take their instinct of something's wrong and find the validation for it. Mm. And that can be done like either through, you know, recommending certain you know, reading to do, or I, I actually really love to present, like in libraries. I love, I really love to work in libraries because that's mm. libraries are an equalizer. So people of all economic um, genres and backgrounds and all socioeconomic ranges can can congregate in a library because it's a safe public space, and in that environment you know, speak to like, what is undue influence? What does it look like? What does it feel like? You know, how is that related to and similar to and different from coercive control? And to start to kind of give a language to these things that we feel instinctively are off. And when we can name things, then we can bring that greater sense of awareness And then we also get to be an activist in our own life by saying, I see that and I'm not engaging in that anymore, you know, or I'm going to try not to. Um, Or I see that, that, and another important part of the um, education of cult dynamics is also really understanding what healthy leadership looks like Mm. and those two are strongly interwoven so when we can identify the the traits of of leadership that truly does support one's autonomy and one's creativity rather than a manufactured version of it that actually supports a closed loop system and understanding what the difference is and being able to identify that. That's, I think, another really important part of the, um, the, the educational process that strengthens all of us as a society. Such a brilliant point, because if all we've ever had is matched and modeled leadership models that are closed looped, manipulative and coercive or, or filled with undue influence, Again, it's quite normalized and and we couldn't look for something different because we don't even know it exists. And that's where we could begin a whole really big discussion about, you know, the white male um, power in, especially in our country right now, but throughout the world and the devastating impact that that has had and, and the, you know, how authoritarianism you know, in general, has impact and influenced and really indoctrinated all of us. 
Yeah, and, and the layers of the dominator systems, white supremacy, right. and then the white patri- white male patriarchy, as you're speaking to, and how easy it is to live in our experience of our subjugated self instead of looking at the ways that we in turn are using those power dynamics on others in ways at different social positions. It can it can it is a complex unwind. I want you to speak a little bit. What's undue influence to? the course of control is there a simple answer to that or is that just a place that somebody should go google uh yeah i mean there is a real difference to that um i actually have a whole presentation i do about that so Mm. it's probably because i have an answer (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's some complexity there Um, okay well good fodder for for those of us listening you know that you know she really spoke to a couple different really important areas of distinction that can actually feel very similar, whether it's coercive control or undue influence or whatever the terminology, what I really heard you say is the importance of learning, getting a language, you know, kind of putting ourselves in the environment where our veil gets pierced. So we have new language to be like, huh, what does that mean? Like, I remember when I first heard what cognitive dissonance was and I was like, mm-hmm. huh, what does that mean? And what I went and Googled mean? it, but yeah. I had lived in a state of cognitive dissonance for decades right. before that epiphany of, let me go Google what that might mean. So I appreciate that answer. Yeah. And stuff obviously, we have to dive in. yeah, obviously Google it and explore it and let's talk about it, you know, because we, when we, I, I think the more people who get interested in you know, undue influence and coercive control. And the more conversation we have about it, the more clarity, you know, we can get, the more we bring to it too. So definitely explore. I don't mean to like, I am no, 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 you know, obviously Dr. Steve Hassan is a, is a really good person. Um, you know, resource for that. Yeah. To start learning that language. Yeah. And the work of Yanya Lalich is also super important you know, her book, Take Back Your Life, is one of, um, it's just a seminal piece. And so you can learn about, you know, those pieces and much more in, in through their work as well. Yeah, and I found her book on the um, escaping utopia on kids born in oh. cults was super helpful, like hearing yeah. all the different stories of the impact on children. And, you know, that was really helpful, too, to even recognize that, wow, cult experts have studied children born in cults versus people who join cults and that different parts of our brain are impacted because of the developmental experience of it. And these things are just so good for us to begin to learn because we get to depersonalize the experience and again, start unsnapping the personas that have coded who we really are, this pulse of our own human spirit that, Mm -hmm. that lives inside each of us. That no matter what the experiences we've gone through, that that pulse still exists. It's just very deeply buried um, exactly. in, in multiple that. layers. Thank you for your work. Oh, you're so welcome. And thank you for yours. It's an honor and just a delight to be here today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. Um, I always ask guests to bring a song and um, you have a song. So you want to share it with us and Normally, I can't play it all because it's copyrighted, but you just sent me this link, so I think I could play it. Um, yes, you can, for sure. So tell and us the intro. Yeah, it, tell us. Yeah, it's um, a song by Esther Friedman, um, who I mentioned earlier. She is an expressive arts therapist and also a cult survivor and um, uh, just a beautiful, beautiful human being. And this is a song called Starry-Eyed Believer. And um, it's a, it's a great tune.
It's a doozy. Listen to the words, folks. It's a great one. So here we go. Starry-eyed believer seeks any kind faith. You the deceiver sense a trace the delicious longing of those so insecure.
gotta love those words. Aren't they the awesome? Bait and switch, the bottom feeders. The like bottom just go feeders. on and on. <laughs> I'm gonna put the words in the show notes so that you can actually like take that in. Esther Friedman, we love you. And I, I would love the link to her her book contact and as well. Okay. All the resources of, of reading and listening and learning from cult survivors and 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 those people that are really doing the work to to reclaim and recover themselves. And then to share that experience, because it's through each other's experience that we get to pierce our own veil of distortion and these parts of ourselves that are captured inside and held hostage by the pressure of the personas that we had to take on in order to survive where we've come from. Exactly. Well said. Thank you for bringing your wisdom, your brilliance. Thank you for taking the uh, excruciating efforts of writing a book and getting it out into the world because personal memoirs are so potent to um, to see ourselves. And again, I, I know I would have been snatched into one of these learning cults if I didn't end up in MLM. And I'm just so thankful to have language and and meet people like you to 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 just feel more well versed, more equipped as a seeker of truth, as a what you called yourself, you know. A, I'm that too. I'm an idealist. Like I, I, I ultimately feel like, Ooh, you can alchemize and get to the good stuff somewhere, you know, but I get to have myself included in that, in that fantasy. And I think that's what makes the difference as a survivor is before I would escape into the fantasy. And now I get to include myself, slow it on down and meet people like you. Indeed. Um, in the process. It is, it's a beautiful, it's the feeling is mutual and the reciprocity is just gorgeous. So thank you for the work that you do. This has been another episode of Uncomfortable Conversations on Predators in Business, Community, and Culture. If you need support beyond this listening space, you can connect with me at gurunishan.com. I'm a writer, speaker, and trauma healing activist, offering free and paid resources, online courses, and consulting in personal and professional reinvention. If you'd like to be a guest and share your story, please email me at gn at gurunishan.com or check the show notes for details. Please also like, subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with someone that you love. Please remember your listening and sharing support is greatly appreciated. The information presented in this podcast are for general educational purposes only. The views and opinions expressed are solely the views of the individuals involved. By listening, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Nothing in this podcast is intended to replace the services of a trained therapist, doctor, or health professional, or otherwise to substitute for professional mental health, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Guru Nishan LLC and affiliate organizations shall under no circumstances be liable to any listener of the podcast or viewer for any action or inaction on your part as a result of the content you consume on this podcast or for any adverse reaction, including any emotional distress you experience as a result of consuming this podcast.